Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome, everybody, to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 224. And today I am going to talk to you about some of my very favorite dark fiction, specifically uh, some of my favorite dark fiction books. Now, on episode 223, which uh, which you guys would have listened to last month, or they're about, uh, you know what, fuck it. I was going to say you listened to it last month. I have no idea when you listen to it. And I, and I don't have an interest in, in, in putting any sort of, any sort of governor around when or how you listen to the show, or if I used the word governor correctly. So I guess all I'm really saying is the episode before this was episode 223, and on that episode, my guest was Ben Fox, who is the founder of Shepherd.com. And for those of you who listened to episode 223, because again, I, I'm not governing how or when you engage in this podcast, Shepherd.com is a fantastic website, and it's designed to help readers discover amazing books to read. Really, it's a website that's designed to help readers discover their next favorite book. And so the way that it works at Shepherd.com is it, it finds authors and asks them to write articles for the website. Specifically, these authors write lists of their own favorite books, and each of these lists is tailored to a very specific topic, which is generally associated with that specific author and one of their more notable books. I was going to say their books or their notable books, but really every article is ultimately connected to one of that author's books. So a few months ago, uh, Ben Fox reached out to me and he asked me if I'd like to participate in Shepherd.com by writing an article for them. Now, it's a relatively new website, so I have to admit I didn't actually know what it was. I wasn't familiar with it. So I did some research before committing to anything, but once I checked it out and saw what Shepherd.com was all about, I was very excited to participate. It looked really cool. So, as I mentioned earlier, authors are given the freedom to create their own topics. Did I mention that earlier? I don't, yeah, I think I mentioned it earlier. What was that? A minute and a half ago? How am I supposed to remember what I told you a minute and a half ago? But I'm going to assume that I did mention that. Either way, authors are given the freedom to create their own topics so long as those topics relate to one of their books. That I know I mentioned to you because that was like 30 seconds ago. So when Ben Fox reached out to me initially, the book he referenced was Inside the Outside. And that makes sense because Inside the Outside is my most successful book. It's also my most well-known book. So of course it made sense to me that that was the book that Ben wanted me to you know, reference in my article for Shepherd.com. So I, I wanted to give you a little bit of a backstory about about the article I wrote, and then I'm gonna then I'm just very specifically going to share with you the article that I wrote. But it started with a, a little bit of brainstorming. I had to brainstorm a list of of five books. Now, I was happy to write about some of my favorite books, but the challenge I quickly learned was curating a list of books that I both loved but that also related to Inside the Outside. Now, I thought this would be easy enough because my favorite books and my favorite authors are always somewhere near the front of my brain. But to make it easier on myself, what I did is I went to my bookshelf where I was, I was confident the only real challenge I would face would be whittling down my list of books to five. I just knew that I was going to go to my bookshelf and I was going to love every single book on the shelf, which makes sense because it's my bookshelf, and I was going to have you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 books, and I was, going to, I was going to have to come up with only five. And it turned out that I was 
absolutely, completely wrong. So the real challenge I, I was figuring out was finding a common theme amongst my favorite books. So part of that is because I have I, I have a relatively eclectic taste in books. And so there, there's no real clear theme in all of the books I love, you know, with the exception of they were written by a human and they involve characters speaking dialogue that are uh, engaged in some sort of narrative. Outside of that, there, there, there's no real theme amongst all of my favorite books. And then beyond that, I needed a theme that also connected to Inside the Outside. So for example, just to, just to give you an idea of, of, of what I was struggling with, here are a few of the initial books that jumped out at me when I was looking at my bookshelf that I was you know, initially excited about and wanted to include in my list. The Fourth Bear by Jasper Ford, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, Life of Pi by Yann Martell, and Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins. Now, if you're familiar with any of these books that I just mentioned, you'll likely recognize that there is no clear theme to connect them. And even if I decided to get creative and I figured out a common theme that connected any of those four books that I mentioned, nothing about them really connects to Inside the Outside. Uh, again, except for they're, they're all books that, that I happen to love by, by authors who I happen to love. Uh, well, I guess, I guess in saying that, and yeah, I guess I'm also sort of implying that, you know, I live Inside the Outside and I am also an author that I love. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. Um, but, but that said, you know, there was no, there's no real, there's no real connection. So, so that said, as I collect my thoughts, my, my next strategy was to start deconstructing inside the outside in an effort to distill it to a couple of major themes. Really, if I can just, I wanted to distill it just to, to one major theme that I could then apply to my bookshelf and then from there find some books that fit into, you know, fit under the umbrella of that theme. So with Inside the Outside, the first obvious theme is horror. But to be honest, and I hesitate to, to say this on record with a microphone in front of my face, but whatever. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm nothing if not honest with you guys. The truth is, I don't read a lot of horror novels. So if this sounds like blasphemy, then you have my permission to throw tomatoes at your phone or your computer or whichever device you're listening to this on right now. But it is what it is. I, I, I have read horror novels and I have loved horror novels, but I really don't read a lot of horror horror, which might surprise people, especially if the only book of mine you've read is Inside the Outside, or even, you know, my trilogy that followed that is, you know, it's a, it's a vampire trilogy, which is, you know, very much, uh, very much a horror novel. And even in my short story collection, Dolph the Unicorn Killer and other, and other stories, there are, there are more than one horror stories in that collection. So, um, it would, it would, you know, you would think that I, that I would read more horror, but, but really it, it's not even that I don't like horror or, or that I don't read it. I just, I, I, weed, I, weed, listen to me. I read more widely, widely than that. Why am I fucking stuttering? I don't know. Maybe it's cause the middle of the day, it's the middle of the day. And, uh, maybe I'm just more tired than I realize, but that's neither here nor there because, you know, we've got a podcast to record. So... Aside from being horror, Inside the Outside is more broadly considered dark fiction, at least considered by me to be dark fiction, and since it's my article, then, you know, that's kind of the only opinion that matters. And dark fiction was much easier to work with in terms of creating a list, because it's a much more general genre that encapsulates stories about fear, death, and, generally speaking, the sinister side of human nature. So with all of that said, this was something I could work with because I've fallen in love with plenty of books that fit that criteria. So now that I had the guidance of dark fiction, 
I went back to my bookshelf and started creating a list of books that fit the bill. And ultimately, I ended up with a list of eight books. But for the purposes of the Shepherd.com article, I only needed five. So I had to cut three of those books from my list. So I spent some time deliberating on which five books I felt most passionately about keeping on my, on my list for Shepherd.com. And then once I whittled my list down to five, I now had to come up with a theme that tied them all together while also connecting them with Inside the Outside. And I, I know what you're probably thinking. I already have a theme. The theme is dark fiction. But with Shepherd.com, you know, uh, once you go to their website and once you look at some of the, the various uh, articles that have been uh, provided for, for Shepherd.com, part of the fun is the lists are really, really specific. They, they, they really drill down. And in some cases, the, 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 the themes are not just specific, but they're kind of wordy. And I like that about it. So the theme of my article, after I did some thinking on it, eventually became this. The best dark fiction books that... Oh my god, I just stuttered over it. Fuck me. I'm going to give it to you again. The best dark fiction books that explore the hidden shadows of humanity. Now, before I get to the five books I put on my list, and I'm only assuming you haven't already read my article on Shepherd.com, if you have, gold star for you. Um, this is this, Just consider this like a, you know, a director's commentary, a bonus feature to go along with you know, the, the homework you already did. Let me quickly share with you the three honorable mentions that didn't make the top five. So like I said, I started with eight. I had to cut three. These were the three that I cut from my list. The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka, The Ice Storm by Rick Moody, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey. Now, The Metamorphosis, I, it's, it's, I, I absolutely love The Metamorphosis. And I, I really, really wanted to keep it, on, keep it on my list. And I wanted to really figure out a reason why I absolutely should keep it on the list. Ultimately, the reason I made the decision to cut it from the list is it's, it's more of a novella or a short story, depending on, you know, how you, how you define that. And it, it, I wouldn't consider it a novel per se. And so the books on my list were ultimately novels, or if not a novel, then just, you know, full-length, full-length books. So, so that's how The Metamorphosis got squeezed out. Uh, the Ice Storm by Rick Moody, that one got squeezed out, uh, not because I don't love it. I love that book very, very much. But uh, in terms of, in terms of dark fiction, it wasn't as dark as the five books that I ultimately chose. So that, that was the main reason that one got X'd out. And I would say the same goes for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey. I love that book. And it's, you know, it, it, it's plenty dark, just like The, just like the Ice Storm. Um, they're, they're, they're both books that have dark elements in them. But ultimately, uh, it, they didn't feel as dark as the five that I ultimately chose. So that's why I cut those three out. But I highly recommend them. If you, if you haven't already read them, or if you've read them, read them again. If you haven't read them, go read them. You'll, you'll enjoy them. The, I guess the only warning I would give you is with The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka, it's not written in English. So, so whichever copy of The Metamorphosis you get your hands on, uh, it will be influenced by whichever, whichever translator ultimately translated it into English. You're still going to get the same, the same story. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. It's, it's, it, in fact, The Metamorphosis, uh, I read this my, it wasn't my first year in college. I read it uh, my first year when I transferred to, to university, to Cal State San Bernardino. And it was the first English class I took. And this was the first story that, uh, that, uh, that I was assigned to read in that first English class when I was at the university. And, and ultimately, this it had a huge influence on, on me and my writing and just my imagination in general. Uh, partly because it's, it's sort of, sort of fantasy. I almost want to say sci, sci-fi, but it's not science fiction. It's just, it's just sort of strange and fantastical. Um, again, you know, the, 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 the opening of the story, which I've generally have committed to memory is Gregor Samsa awoke 
one morning after terrible dreams to find that he'd been transformed into a giant cockroach. I'm paraphrasing, but also, you know, whatever. The, consider that my my loosey-goosey translation of, of the original text. So when I first read that line, I read that this guy, Gregor Samsa, awoke from terrible dreams and he had been transformed into a giant cockroach. My first thought was, oh, like a metaphorical cockroach. But then the more that I read, I, you know, I came to understand that this was literal. This story was telling a story about a man who literally overnight transformed into a giant cockroach. And then for the rest of the story, it's about him reckoning with this new this new form of being a giant insect, and then also his family now having to reckon with him. And it, it's fantastic. The reason it influenced me is it felt like the exact type of story that wouldn't be assigned in college, because really, up to that point, the majority of the, the, the books and short stories that I'd been assigned to read in college, it was mostly literary fiction, and in and, and, and far too many cases, it was fiction that I didn't find interesting. Like, you know, I could find stuff that I liked or elements that I liked about certain stories, but if they hadn't been assigned to me in college, I wouldn't have read them. They, they wouldn't have been interesting to me. But the metamorphosis was, this is this is the type of story that if I had discovered it on my own, I, I would have loved to read it. So the fact that this was being assigned in college was extremely influential. And probably the biggest thought that I had in my head was that this book essentially gave me permission to write any story I wanted. Because one of my concerns, at least when I was in college, not now, but when I was in college, one of my concerns when I thought about my future career as an author, or at the very least, the, the future that I hoped to have as an author, was I wanted to write the sort of books that people could enjoy, but could also be taken seriously and could potentially be talked about in college classes, which, incidentally, I'm very proud to, to say Inside the Outside has, on more than one, more than one occasion, been assigned in college classes and students have read it and their teachers have talked about it with them. And so, you know, that that was always the dream for me. But I thought that in order to do that, I was going to have to write books that, that, you know, that looked more like the literature that I was being assigned to read. So, so the metamorphosis, for me, that, that was like a, that, that was like a hall pass. That was a get out of free, get out of jail free card. I don't know if that last one fits, but it was a story that, that gave me permission to, to to write all the all the wild stories that existed in my head, and know that that these types of stories could still be taken seriously. That was a very long digression. I didn't plan on talking about that, but I I, I guess I, I guess it, it it makes sense for me to talk about it insofar as that I was really passionate about about the metamorphosis, and it didn't make my top five. So so bear all of that in mind. Now, after after doing all of that, after coming up with a theme, uh, you know, best dark fiction books that explore the hidden shadows of humanity, and then coming up with five books that I genuinely loved, I've, I've read them, I've loved them, and they fit the list, uh, I, I, I next had to write descriptions of each of the books. And specifically, these descriptions had to explain why I loved the books I chose, and it also had to explain why they why they fit into my my chosen theme uh, and also each of the each of the book descriptions uh, had to roughly be a hundred words I, I had a little bit more of a window than that but uh, for my purposes I, I wanted each description to be about the same length just for just for consistency so that was you know one of the one of the challenges uh, you know that I was working with and when you know some some of the boundaries. I also had to write an introduction to myself while also introducing the theme, and I also had to uh, I also had to uh, give a synopsis of Inside the Outside, which on the one hand is kind of easy because there's a synopsis on Amazon.com that's been there for, you know, whatever it's been, 11 years now. But I decided to use this opportunity to update the synopsis for Inside the Outside, and uh, I actually took the updated updated uh, synopsis. Well, I don't know if synopsis is the right word because synopsis, well, I'm, I'm second guessing how I think about the word synopsis. 
it, I, I, here, here's what I'm struggling with. Synopsis kind of, kind of, sort of means like here's what the whole story is about. But you know, you don't want to read what the whole story is about in an Amazon description. So whatever, an overview, we'll call it. Either way, I wrote a new synopsis or overview, whichever, whichever of these terms hits your ear better. And then, uh, and then later down the road, I took this updated synopsis and I updated the Amazon description for Inside the Outside. So, so you know, so you can go to Amazon and there's now a more updated overview, which which I like better than, than the one that I originally wrote 11 years ago. So all told, I probably spent about a day or two, maybe two days working on this. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like 48 solid hours. It was just, you know, overall, it, it was a couple hours that I like really, 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 you know, dug into this, mostly because I loved, I loved the assignment. And I, I can only imagine that as I describe what I did, a lot of you are probably thinking that sounds like homework. And it kind of was homework, I guess. But it was, it was a sort of homework that if I was in college, I would have loved doing it. And I'm not in college anymore. I haven't been a student for a very long time. But this reminded me of being a college student. And more importantly, it, it was just, it was a lot of fun for me to, to dig into this. So after, after I put everything together and, and I wrote my article, I sent the final product to Shepard. And they had no notes for me, which is great. So they published the article exactly as I sent it to them. Uh, came out probably a few weeks after I, I sent it their way. And now, with that said, I'm going to read you the article. Again, if you've read it already, gold star for you. Um, if you haven't read it, then this is going to be your introduction to it. I'm also going to stop intermittently to offer any extra thoughts that I have here and there, maybe on a particular book or a particular particular thoughts I had about some of the books on the list. And actually, that that by itself is yeah, it's probably a good reason for, for you to keep listening if you've already read the article. So there is new information for you. So here you go. This is The Best Dark Fiction Books That Explore the Hidden Shadows of Humanity by Martin Lestraps. And this is on Shepherd.com. Who am I? <laughs> so actually, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop and, t and tell you what's happening here. Uh, that's that's the first section of the article. It's it's who am I? So you know that wasn't me asking you who am I. I promise. I whatever. Here we go. Restart. Who am I? I love most all genre fiction, but I'm a sucker for dark fiction. And I have a particular fondness for dark fiction that explores the hidden shadows of men and women as they make dubious choices that lead to consequences rife with fear, despair, and unflinching terror. Whether it's young men meeting in a basement to engage in a secret barbaric club, or a world gone mad following the literal death of God, my favorite dark fiction is woven with sly satire, and subversive social commentary. I wrote Inside the Outside. What is my book about? 15-year-old cannibal Timber Marlowe has lived her entire life within a murderous cult called the Divinity of Feminine Reproach. But she's always suspected there was more to life than the strange and twisted lessons she'd been indoctrinated to believe. After risking her life to escape into the outside, Timber bears witness to some dark, and some dark and unsettling truths about the world around her and the integral role she unwittingly plays in it. Little stutter in there, my apologies. But that's the new synopsis slash overview of Inside the Outside. If you've read the book, that should ring true to you. If you haven't read the book, hopefully that, that synopsis just piqued your interest. And you're going to go straight to Amazon.com or wherever you buy your books to get yourself a copy of Inside the Outside by me, Martin Lestraps. Now, moving on with the articles. Here are the books I picked and why. In no particular order. Let me mention that. That's that's important. This isn't this isn't a top five starting with, you know, least favorite to favorite. This is just five of my favorite dark fiction books in no particular order. So, 
First on the list, Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Why this book? Chuck Palahniuk is one of the best writers of satirical dark fiction, and Fight Club is my favorite books. <laughs> and Fight Club, fuck me. You know what? It's not easy reading into a microphone. This is probably why I don't have an audiobook yet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this one over and try not to trip over my goddamn words. Chuck Palahniuk is one of the best writers of satirical dark fiction. And Fight Club is my favorite book, is my favorite of his books. There. Maybe that means I should have just edited that sentence, but here we are. It's most famous for its premise of a secret club of men who willingly engage in organized bare-knuckle fistfights. But subversively, Palahniuk's novel uses razor-sharp wit and humor to examine themes of consumerism, anarchy, and subjugated masculinity through the strange and unlikely friendship of the book's nameless narrator and his mysterious friend, Tyler Durden. The first rule of Fight Club, no spoilers. So I, I absolutely love Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. And if you've never seen Chuck Palahniuk's name spelled out, it's kind of intimidating. And it, I, didn't, I didn't always know how to pronounce it. I think ultimately, I must have, maybe I heard an interview where he, he taught me how to pronounce his name, or maybe it was like an article that offered like a phonetic spelling or something. But anyway, Palahniuk, that's how you say it. Uh, I, I first ran into Fight Club at, um, well, I'd seen the movie. I actually saw the movie first before I actually knew that there was a book that the movie was adapted from. But it was at the Virgin Megastore at the Ontario Mills Mall, which is uh, where I used to work. And let me think, was I, I might have been working there actually when I when I saw Fight Club on the uh there was a small, you know, there was a small section of, of books at the at the Virgin Mega Store, mostly a music store, but they also had some movies and some books and some other you know, miscellaneous do dance. Uh, but I saw Fight Club. It was featured on a, you know, on an end table. It, it might have been featured with with books that had been adapted for you know into movies. I don't know. And um, so I, I I picked it up, and I'd never heard of Chuck Palahniuk, but I'd heard of Fight Club, so I picked up the book just out of curiosity, and just kind of read the first page and was instantly, instantly hooked, instantly drawn in. Couldn't wait to read the rest of the book. I probably didn't buy it right that second because I was a college student and money was scarce, so I couldn't just buy shit that I wanted in the moment that I wanted it. But, you know, when I had some available money, uh, I, I bought myself a copy of Fight Club. In all likelihood, I went into, uh, I went to half.com. I don't know if that exists anymore. But, you know, if it doesn't or if you don't remember Half.com, Half.com was a an extension of um, eBay, but where on eBay you would, you know, there would be auctions for for whatever items that you were trying to get your hands on. Half.com, it was just it was just used items. You didn't have to you didn't have to get involved in an auction. You didn't have to outbid anybody. It was just, here's a used product that somebody's selling for a discounted price. It was basically a garage sale, but, you know, on the internet. And it was more convenient from within a garage sale because you could search for specifically, you know, what you wanted. So in this case, I wanted to get myself a copy of Fight Club in all likelihood. I went on half.com and, and really, truly, if I'm being genuine with you, all five of these books I probably bought on half.com. I, I don't know if it still exists. I hope it does. I'm going to look for it as soon as I finish recording here. Um, anyway, so the, yeah, that, that's Fight Club by Chuck, Chuck Palahniuk. And also, when I saw the movie, the first time I saw the movie Fight Club, I liked it a lot. But my first viewing of it, um, overall, I might say I was underwhelmed. I really loved the, you know, the first two acts, we'll say. And then when it gets into the third act, there's, you know, there's a, there's a very big, important reveal. And, um, and I don't know, when I watched the movie, my initial feeling was like, oh, that was weird. That was kind of out of nowhere. What'd they do that for? I don't know. Um, but then when I read the book, you know, you know, the, the book 
functions the same way as the movie where, you know, you don't get this important reveal until, you know, you're almost towards the end of the book. And it works really well in the book, extremely, extremely well in the book. And in in fact, uh, when I was a college professor several years ago, uh, for a couple of my classes, I actually taught Fight Club. That's how much I loved it. So I used it in some of my English classes. And, you know, we would, as a class, we would read the book and we would have a very fun and, you know, incisive, insightful, incisive, I don't know. We would have discussions about the book. And one of the things that I was constantly um, requesting of my students was, if you've already seen the movie, you know, don't don't spoil the ending because the book works along the same way. Um, If you haven't seen the movie, then, you know, and you're going to enjoy this book and, you know, you're going to find that there's this really fun and satisfying, you know, twist. Um, and so I had to keep, I had to keep reminding them, especially when we were having discussions about the book, you know, like if, if a student started to, you know, talk about the book and the movie, and if they started to even make an allusion to, you know, the, how, you know, the ending of the book, I'd have to, you know, shut them down really quickly, politely, but like, you know, hold your horses, you know, we're not there yet. We want the people who haven't read the book to, you know, enjoy it on their, you know, on their own time. So anyway. Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Next book, The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides. Why this book? Before Jeffrey Eugenides won the Pulitzer Prize for his sophomore effort, he debuted on the the literary scene with one of my very favorite books, The Virgin Suicides, a dark and haunting novel about a group of five repressed teenage sisters who each commit suicide over the course of a year. And Eugenides is, oh my god, Eugenides, the the possessive of Eugenides is not easy to say. Let me try this again. And Eugenides' subversive coming-of-age tale, coming-of-age? Why the fuck did I choose today of all days to read to you guys? And Eugenides, oh my god, this is, this is so fucking embarrassing. Believe me, my instinct is to cut out everything that you just heard, but... I respect you guys too much to do that. This is this is this is exactly what I sound like trying to read to you right now. And Eugenides <laughs> subversive coming of age tale. He explores themes of religion, isolation, and mental illness through the collective narrative voice of the neighborhood boys who obsessed over the sisters and want to understand why they killed themselves. Jesus Christ, that was hard to get through. I'll tell you what, sometimes it's not a bad idea to, to read your words out loud, I guess, because, well, I, I do that anyway. In any of my writing, I read it out loud, including my books, by the way. Um, before I before I ever say one of my books is done and, and move to publish it so you guys can read it, I read the entire thing out loud, largely so I can hear how it sounds. And also, you know, when I read out loud, I'll sometimes... You know, sometimes a sentence will, it'll sound different out loud, and I'll realize that it doesn't sound quite right, or the words don't quite, don't quite mesh together or, or sing in the way that I want them to, to, to sing. So I don't know, maybe, maybe this was an example of that. Maybe I'm just tired. Although Eugenides, that's, there's no way around that, because it's, you know, that's his name, and I needed the uh, possessive at the end, but his name ends with an S, so I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just tricky, I guess. God, I'm so fucking embarrassed right now. I'll get over it. Also, if you hear that squeaking, that's my, my chair, which, which has decided that it's going to be extra, extra squeaky today. Now, The Virgin Suicides, I discovered in a similar fashion to Fight Club, but this one I very specifically remember seeing it at Barnes & Noble. It was when I lived in Rancho Cucamonga, California, and there was a Barnes & Noble that I went to all the time. It Incidentally, it's the Barnes & Noble where... I was going to say it's where I bought my first Stephen King book, but really, I mean, it's where I bought... I kind of feel like it's the first place where I bought any book because um, I wasn't always... I didn't grow up as a big reader, so that, that came later in my life when I was like 18 and my first year in college. Um, but it's where I bought uh, my first Stephen King book, 
which was called Insomnia, which I enjoyed that book very much. And, you know, over the years, I would go to Barnes and Noble um, and peruse the books. I would daydream about being an author myself and what it would be like to have my own books on the shelves of Barnes and Noble. But I was also, I'd also acquired a love for, for reading, specifically for reading novels. So I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would look at the books. I was still a college student, so uh, similar to the story I told you earlier, I didn't have much money at all to speak of. I, I, you know, I had, you know, whatever student aid I'd gotten for any given semester. And that money was mostly spent after I bought my, my textbooks and paid for my classes and stuff. <clears throat> but, you know, if I had some money left over, I would use it to buy stuff like books. And so I, I saw The Virgin Suicides on the bookshelf. And similar to Fight Club, I was familiar with the movie. Um, I don't think I'd seen the movie, although I had heard the soundtrack. And this actually connects again to the Virgin Megastore, because the, the movie came out in 1999, which was the year that I worked at the Virgin Megastore. And so the soundtrack to the movie was was kind of a big deal. And so when I worked at the Virgin Megastore, uh, we played it pretty much on a constant loop for what felt like forever. So I, I was, I think I was mostly familiar that there was a movie that existed by uh, Sofia Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. Uh, she wrote and directed the movie. Um, and I knew that there was a soundtrack, but I didn't know that there was a book. So, so because I'm so, because I also love movies, I was immediately curious about this book. So I took it off the shelf, opened it up, and within half a page, I don't even think I had to finish the first page, within half a page, I was in love. I was in love with, with, with the words and the prose. I was in love with the story that was beginning to unfold. And only half of a page, mind you. And I absolutely knew I needed to read this book. But, you know, similar to Fight Club, I didn't have money to buy a book from Barnes & Noble in that moment simply because I wanted it. So once I had a few bucks to spend, I went on Half.com and found a copy of The Virgin Suicide. Usually I would find copies of books that I wanted to read for, you know, somewhere in the area of 3 or $4. So, you know, very much like a garage sale. And I, I was never too concerned with, you know, the condition of the book. It didn't have to be in, you know, brand new, unread condition. If it was, that was cool. I didn't give a shit if the book was beat up, if it, if it was dog-eared, if the cover was, you know, faded. I just, you know, literally, I just wanted the story that was in the book. I just wanted to engage with the story and, and the words on the page. So I got myself a copy of The Virgin Suicides and read it in very short order and absolutely loved it. So... That's how that book is on this list. The next book on the list, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Why this book? Let me let me take a deep breath before I try to read again because, fuck, I don't want to embarrass myself any more than I already have trying to read to you guys. Okay, why this book? Tim O'Brien is one of my very favorite writers. And his seminal work, The Things They Carried, is one of my all-time favorite books, dark fiction or otherwise. It's a collection of interconnected short stories, each set in or around the Vietnam War, that explores themes of war, guilt, memory, and death. Based on O'Brien's experiences as a soldier in the 23rd Infantry Division, the things they carried playfully subverts the conventions of traditional storytelling, blurring the lines between fact and fiction, as O'Brien uses the names of real people and places, including a character named Tim O'Brien. Now, The Things They Carried, absolutely love it. One of my all-time favorite books. And it is definitely, in parts, very dark. Very much dark fiction. Um... I, I, this was one of the books that was on the fence. This was one of the books that almost became one of the three that didn't make the list. Uh, partly, partly because it's, you know, it's not a traditional novel, as I mentioned in, in that description there. It's closer to a short story collection, but it's, all these stories are interconnected and weaved together in such a way that, you know, it's more or less, it's fair to call it a novel. And it is dark, and and my favorite chapter in the book, my favorite story in the book, is called How to Tell the True War Story. 
And it's it's one of the darker stories in the book. It's probably not the darkest story in the book, um, but it's definitely one of the darker stories in the book. And so ultimately, I, I you know, full disclosure, I, the, the reason it made the list is I just fucking love it. I love it so much that I wanted a chance to talk about it, so I put it on the list, even if it doesn't fully, fully feel like it fits the the theme of dark, dark fiction. Although, although that said, it does fit the overall theme of this list, which is it's not just dark fiction by itself, but dark fiction that explores the hidden shadows of humanity and the things they carried. Absolutely, does that. Uh, I was first introduced to the book itself um, at Cal State San Bernardino, and it was similar to what I mentioned earlier with the Metamorphosis. This was a book I was introduced to in a in an English class. Specifically, it was a creative writing class. It was the very first creative writing class that I took as a as a student at Cal State San Bernardino. So it was at that point I was officially you know majoring in English with an emphasis on creative writing. This was my first creative writing class. Uh, the professor of that class was a, a, was an author. Her name is A. LaFay. A is the first initial, so it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like A in the sense of like, you know, uh, some cholo from South Central Los Angeles saying, hey, what's up, homie? But, you know, A period LaFay. And... She, you know, she didn't have us read the whole book, um, but specifically, she she gave us each a copy of How to Tell a True War Story, and then you know I read that you know, in isolation from the book. Absolutely loved it. I, I'd never heard of Tim O'Brien. I'd never heard of the things they carried, but I absolutely loved How to Tell a True War Story. And so, it, you know, I, I couldn't wait to read the rest of this book once I learned that it was a small part of a larger book, The Things They Carried. And consequently, Tim O'Brien has become one of my very, very all-time favorite authors. Um, I think I've written one. I haven't read everything that he's written because he wrote a memoir that came out about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Um, so I, I guess I need to read that. But uh, he's he's written several books. I've read I've read almost all of them, and he's a writer who. When when I read his words, Tim O'Brien probably more than any other writer, I feel kind of a connection to the words. I I feel like, you know, at my best, the best version of my writing ability sounds like what Tim O'Brien does, and that's not me saying that I I write like Tim O'Brien or I'm as good as Tim O'Brien. But like when I write, when I read Tim O'Brien's writing, more times than not, I, I feel, I, I very much feel like, yeah, that's 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 perfect. That's exactly how I would have written that if I were Tim O'Brien. And and honestly, I can't say that for for all of my favorite books. Like I've, you know, I, I've I've so many books I've read and loved, by the way, where you know all throughout the book. You know, certain passages I I love. They just they just you know, they they vibrate off off of the page, and other passages I find myself being somewhat critical. Like, oh, you know what? I this is how I would have edited this or rearranged this or you know used a different word here or or whatever. And it's 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 never a critique on the book. It's just you know how it's just kind of how how my brain kind of operates if I'm reading anything. It's just sort of a just kind of a reflex to to kind of revise it or or you know imagine a better way of, of of putting it on the page, but when I read Tim O'Brien, that pretty much never happens. I, I read his writing and just like, yep, this is that's exactly that's exactly right. That's exactly how I would do it. So Tim O'Brien, the things they carried, I love that book. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? Here's here's a, another half dot com story for you. Like I said. I'm pretty sure all these books I bought on half.com. Except for the next one on the list. So I, I'm looking at it now and I realized that that one I bought brand spanking new because when I discovered this book, I actually had some money. But I'll get to that in a second. The things they carried, I uh, bought this one on half.com. 
And a, a lot of the sellers on Half.com's, Half.com's, God damn it, why can't I speak today? A lot of the sellers on Half.com were, sometimes they were individuals, but sometimes they were just little, you know, they were, they were bookstores. So maybe they were just in a nice little indie bookstore or a mom and pop bookstore. And then Half.com presented them an opportunity to, to you know, to sell, to sell some of their inventory um, that maybe maybe they weren't otherwise selling uh, from the store. So when I got the things they carried, I got two copies of it. Not not I didn't get I didn't get them in the same package. Um, they sent me one copy of the things they carried because that's the one that I bought. And then sometime later, maybe a week or so later, I got a second copy of the things they carried. Did I say inside the outside? Probably. I don't know. Whatever. Don't worry about rewinding. Um, so I got two copies of the things they carried, and I wasn't sure why. And I had to check, I had to check my bank account and my Half.com account history to see did I accidentally buy two copies of this book? But I did not. It was it was a mistake by the seller that they sent me two copies of the same book, and you know whatever, right or wrong, I. I kept both copies of the book because, you know, I just I decided that it was their way of of presenting me with some charity. Maybe they'd heard somewhere along the way that I was a poor college student who couldn't really afford to buy books. So they sent me two copies of the same book. I don't I don't I don't know why they thought that would help me. Um, but what I did is uh, I gifted the, my second copy of the book uh, to a friend of mine, actually. Uh, my friend Jack Reed, who might very well be listening right now because he usually listens to each of these episodes. So Jack, here's a shout out to you. Uh, if you're looking at your bookshelf and if you see a copy of the things they carried and you're trying to remember, when did I get that book? This is just a reminder for you that uh, I gifted you a free copy of the book that was accidentally sent to me by <laughs> by the seller. So, you know, it went to a good home. Jack, you know, Jack, I, I, Jack also loves the book. I'm assuming I'm just saying that. So, you know, the seller doesn't feel bad because, you know, obviously, obviously the seller who used to sell on half.com is listening to episode 224 of the Martin Lestraptual podcast hour. They're now, they're just now being, you know, uh, overwhelmed by the reality that they gave away a free book. And so they're, you know, they're, 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 they're processing that right now. They're reckoning with that information. So, you know, I, 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 as they process it, I want to make, I, I at least want to, I at least want to give them the, the idea that, uh, that the book went to somebody who loved it. Next book on the list, Machine Man by Max Berry. Why this book? Max Berry's satirical science fiction novel, Machine Man, is a dark and funny meditation on contemporary society's compulsive over-reliance on technology. The narrator, Charles Newman, is a mechanical engineer who, while obsessively searching for his phone, loses his leg in an industrial accident. After building himself a new machine leg, Charles purposely loses his other leg so he can replace it with another machine leg. After seeing how great his new legs work, Charles wonders if maybe he should replace more of his body parts with machine parts, begging the question, where does humanity end and technology begin? Now, Machine Man, this was a book that, uh, let's see, when I discovered this book, at this point I was working as a college professor. Um, I I had a few bucks in my pocket. I may have been... I may have been writing at this point. I might I probably I probably had published inside the outside. I don't I don't remember. Either way, um, this is, is a fantastic book. Max Berry, he's he's a great author. He's a, an Australian author. And uh, I don't even know how I discovered Machine Man. How, how the hell did I even find this book? I know with cer- I, I know with certainty that I, I bought this book on Amazon. And even as I say with certainty, I don't know if I can say that with certainty. But I probably did, because at this point, Amazon, it's 
not only is it the world's bookstore, it's my bookstore. And I, I, buy, I buy all of my books on Amazon.com. So Machine Man, I honestly don't know how I discovered it. Uh, it I just somehow or another came across it on Amazon. Maybe I was looking up other books and it was recommended as a, as a similar book by, you know, similar to something else I bought or whatever. But either way, usually the way that I do business on Amazon when I'm looking at books is uh, if a book catches my interest, I read the um, I read the first couple of pages that are that are offered in the in the in the in the, in the book preview, and if uh, it, you know if I can fall if I fall in love with it, similar to the way that I fell in love with you know Fight Club and The Virgin Suicides, when I picked up actual actual you know physical books in actual brick and mortar stores, then uh, either I'll buy it or I'll just add it to my my running list of books that I have on. On Amazon, so I, I have a list in my Amazon account that's just specifically, you know, books that I that I plan on reading or books that I'm excited about or books that have, you know, you know, captured my imagination. So, so yeah, so that was Machine Man. Uh, consequently, I've read um, at least one more of Max Berry's books, which is called Jennifer Government. Actually, no, I've I've read three of his books. I've read Machine Man. I've read Jennifer Government. And I read a book called Lexicon. Um, they're all fantastic. Of of those three books, though, Machine Man is my favorite. And actually, if I remember correctly, the way that he wrote Machine Man is it was sort of a... I don't know if he was doing this for himself, but he was basically writing the book on the fly. And each chapter of the book, he was just like posting as a blog. As a, as a, it might have actually been on his blog. So he'd write a chapter and then post it like on a blog. So you could read it for free. Then he wrote, you know, the next chapter and then, you know, so on. But in that way, he was kind of writing by the seat of his pants. He didn't have a full idea of what the book was going to be about. He was just kind of, you know, discovering it like that. And then once the book was all done in that way, he eventually, you know, pulled all those pieces together, polished it, revised it. There was a uh, he had a proper editor who you know did some editing on it, and then it and then you know then published it. So um, so I I've, I've never seen the version of of the story that was just you know um, that was just written as blog posts. But I've written the I've I've read the novel. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Finally, one more book. Thank goodness because I I could tell I'm getting loopy and there's no telling how many more mistakes I'm going to make in terms of <laughs> trying to read out loud to you guys. Okay, final book on the list, God is Dead by Ron Curry Jr. <clears throat> Why this book? Ron Curry Jr. has written some of my very favorite books that explore big ideas through dark through, through a dark satirical lens. My favorite of Curry's books is God is Dead, which is a collection of interconnected stories that wonders what the world, and more importantly, humanity, would look like if God took human form, then died. Each story looks at different characters and how they've responded to the reality of God's death from a group of teenagers who make a suicide pact to an epidemic of parents worshiping their children in the absence of God. Each story works together to explore larger themes of religion, violence, and the purpose of life. So God is Dead, similar to The Things They Carried. It's not you know, a proper novel. It's more of a short story collection. But all of these sto- all the stories in God is Dead are interconnected, and they, and they all work under the same premise, which is God is literally dead. So in the first story of the collection, um, God takes the form of a, of a woman, I believe in, in Darfur, I think, and uh and but now that now that God is in physical form, God also has the uh mortal vulnerabilities that all humans have. And so while in human form, God is killed, and because God's in this physical form, not only does this physical form die, but God dies with it. And then each story after that, you know, follows this theme of essentially how the world and very specifically the characters in these stories respond to the reality that God is dead. One of the things that I like about it um, 
is that there's no there's no um, there's no like announcement of how the world finds out God is dead. So we don't know how everybody knows, but it's clear that that everybody everybody understands this to be an indisputable fact that God's dead. And then every story kind of follows after that. And it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And, it, and this, probably as much as every other story on this list, if not more, this really does fit the list, of, fit the description of dark fiction that explores that explores the hidden shadows of humanity. Um, I discovered this book um, at a bookstore. So this was definitely a book I discovered as a college student. I'm trying to remember what bookstore I discovered it in. My my memory, well, well, what my memory is trying to tell me is it was a bookstore in Pasadena, California, which is entirely possible. Um, but even before I picked it up, I, I think I would see it around at different bookstores. It was it seemed to be a book that was being featured, you know, on on easels or on end caps or on tables, and so it kept, you know, it, it kept being reinforced like, oh, this is a book that you know the world, well, not the world, specifically these bookstores, and probably more specifically than that, the book's publisher probably, you know, called in some favors or whatever they do to get the book featured. So uh, I eventually picked it up, or, or maybe I did some combination of, you know, I saw it first in the bookstore, and then later went on Amazon.com and, uh, you know, read a preview of the book, thought it sounded really cool and bought myself a copy of the book this is another one where i probably bought it i probably bought it used and possibly at some point at at some point amazon you know amazon kind of took over the the half.com gimmick of selling used books so so who knows maybe maybe half.com doesn't exist anymore because you know amazon is basically doing what they do Either way, you know, got myself a, a, a used copy of, of God is Dead. It was in great condition, though. And read it, and and I loved it. This was one where um, I didn't teach the whole book, but there was at least one semester when I was teaching where I I taught one of the stories in the book. In fact, what I did, because I, I think I was basically, there was like one semester where I got really ambitious, and decided that instead of assigning a single book, I would just assign short stories or chapters from books that I that I love. So like one of them was the opening chapter of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, as an example. I also had um, had a Tell the True War story. I included one of the stories from God is Dead. And it seemed like a really great idea until it came time to actually, I don't know, do it because... Because I, I, because I didn't have a specific book in my syllabus for the students to buy, I had to provide a copy of each story, which meant I had to take, you know, take my books to, to, uh, to you know, whatever the, the the teachers teachers office, teachers lounge, whatever the printer at the at, at the college I was teaching at, and I'd have to use the printer and print out the pages for each of the stories, and then put in an order to have you know whatever it was 60 copies of each story because I was you know teaching it to two different classes and and you know it doesn't sound like a big deal but fuck me it was a pain in the ass and I was like I this would have been so much easier if I just assigned one goddamn book so I only ever did that one semester but during that one semester I did include um one of the stories from God is Dead so so there you have it there you have it that is uh that is my the, the the list that I wrote for for Shepherd.com, the best dark fiction books that explore the hidden shadows of humanity. Now, before I wrap up, I realized only too late that at the end of the last episode, episode two hundred twenty-three, uh, I, I I broke the very young tradition that I started a couple episodes ago which is ending each episode with a quote from RuPaul. And so to make up for that, 
Uh, I'm going to end this episode with two quotes from RuPaul, and we'll just we'll pretend like each time I'm ending the show, but you know, whatever. Just re- in your mind, add one of these quotes to the episode 223, I suppose. So, here we go. In the words of the fabulous RuPaul, what other people think of me is not my business. Okay, so there's one. And then here's one more to, to, to catch us up. In the words of the fabulous and brilliant and infinitely talented RuPaul, good luck and don't fuck it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, I will see you on the other side.